buried secrets. In 1968, in the middle of the Cold War between the United States and Russia, a Russian submarine carrying three nuclear missiles went missing near Hawaii. What happened? It tragically sunk three miles into the depths of the Pacific Ocean, hiding its valuable secrets. Russian code language, evidence of military construction and engineering advancements, other valuable intelligence information such as how thick was the armor of the submarine, how fast could these submarines go, and how far can these missiles be launched. During the heightened time of alert for both nations, whoever was the more, more advanced nation in terms of military technology was the more powerful one. It was a race to recover the ship, and this project would be the most expensive, most complex, most secretive intelligence operations in United States history. Buried secrets. And just like the submarine, we all have buried secrets. In the deep depths of our hearts, we have buried secrets that we don't want to expose. We don't want others to know what we're really about and what we really worship. If our hearts are like the submarine, it can remain hidden without ever surfacing, without people ever getting to know us, and worst yet, deceiving ourselves. Proverbs chapter 4 talks about keeping our heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. D.L. Moody says, you don't have to go to heathen lands today to find false gods. America is full of them. And whatever you love more than God is your idol. John Calvin says, every one of us, even from the mother's womb, is a master craftsman of idols. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 can be found in the Black Pew Bibles underneath those blue seats of yours on page 957. And today's sermon will focus on just 14, verse 14, but we'll read verses 1 to 22. And as you're turning there, some context about our passage today. 1 Corinthians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in the city of Corinth. Basically a pastoral letter to a spiritually troubled church. Corinth was a crosstown of flourishing trade and business. It was known for wealth and bronze artistry and had a careless attitude towards sexuality. It was typical in a city like this of pagan worship in the temples. Parts of the body of animals were offered for sacrifice, but then they were repurposed for eating and dinner parties. It brought all sorts of people but the church had serious issues with division and sexual immorality. It became so bad that even Paul mentions even outsiders, non-Christians, um, would not even tolerate such sins that were going inside this church. This book, 1 Corinthians, can be summarized in two sentences. One, Paul wants this church divided because of the arrogance of its more powerful members to work together for the advancement of the gospel. And two, he wants them to drop their divisiveness, their one-upmanship, to build the faith of those who are weaker and witness effectively to unbelievers. To, to summarize the preceding chapters, chapter 8, Paul encourages the Christians to use their Christian liberty to not eat in the pagan temples because it might destroy a weaker brother or sister. Chapter 9, Paul surrenders his rights to, in order to be a spiritual edification 
to others. And here in chapter 10, Paul encourages Christians not to eat in pagan temples because it is idolatry. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If you're taking notes uh, for the next two sermons... Uh, we're gonna. The main idea is to run away from false gods and run to the true God. Run away from false gods and turn to the true God. Today we'll be focusing on just that first part, running away from false gods. And I have two subpoints. They are two F's: find and flee. Find and flee. Point number one, run away from false gods. And this is my first F, finding false gods. What is a false god or idol? Is it a, a statue? Listen to Romans one twenty-five: For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the creator God, who is forever praised. Amen. We were meant to worship our creator, and not be created. So what is idolatry? It's giving heart worship to the created. Idolatry is giving devotion, heart worship to things that are created. You might ask, what's the difference between idolatry and sin? Professor Benjamin Glad says, idolatry is at the root of all sin. Because sin seeks to steal glory from God, to whom alone it is due, And take it for the sinner. I'm a wannabe gardener. And every gardener has to do something is pull weeds. And weeds are so deceiving. You look at them on the surface. They're really ugly. But what's surprising to me is what happens underneath. Uh, One, uh, weeds multiply like crazy. And number two, they run so deep. Tim Keller said, Look for your idols at the bottom of painful emotions, anger, and disappointment, especially those that never seem to lift up like weeds. 
and that drive you to do sinful things you know are wrong. And when you pull up your emotions up by the roots, as it were, sometimes you'll find your idols clinging to them. The reformer Martin Luther said that you don't ever commit any other sin without first breaking the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. That means that every sin we commit is a sin first of idolatry. As an example, you can think of kids. You know, they usually have meltdowns when they don't get the particular toy or snack that they want. We might smile at that, but friend, you and I are not much different. The list I'm going to give you are good things, but it's when we make them ultimate things, they become bad things. Ken Sandy, author of Peacemaker, says, It is important to emphasize the fact that idols can arise from good desires as well as wicked desires. It is often not what we want that is the problem, but we want it too much. Here are some lists of examples of idols. Marriage, success, hobby, friendships, having children, advancing in your career, Financial stability, material goods. As Danny just read in our scripture reading, Moses went to be with the Lord on Mount Sinai, and the people were left to themselves. And what happened? They couldn't see God, so they made one of gold. They sacrificed to it. They feasted to it. They danced with it. Their hearts started creating idols to satisfy themselves immediately. Al Mohler says the attractiveness of idols is because they are visual. They're portable, they're tangible, they're manageable and servable. Sometimes we are so quick to judge and to laugh at the Israelites. But friends, we are much more like them than we can ever imagine. The warning we read was, don't do this. Don't be like the Israelites we've heard about. Don't be like these Israelites who grumble and Disobey the living God. So how do you know if you are suffering from spiritual heart idolatry? A couple of diagnostic questions to help you figure out if you have idols in your life. Number one, what do you want, desire, crave, lust, and wish for? Number two, what do you think about most often? Number three, Where do you bank your hopes? These are three of 30 questions from the Journal of Biblical Counseling called X-Ray Questions, Drawing Out the Whys and Wherefores of Human Behavior by David Powelson. Philip Graham Riken, president of Wheaton College, said, To identify your own idols, ask questions like these. What things take place of God in my life? Where do I find my significance and my confidence? What things make me really angry? Anger usually erupts when an idol gets knocked off the shelf. Application. It is an excellent resource to use these x-ray questions uh, in your intentional relationships in the church over coffee. For those who are married, maybe date night, and maybe today at lunchtime, just talking about some of these x-ray questions. 
What's the danger of an idol? Here in Exodus 20, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. We all bow down to false gods. Maybe not physically, but emotionally, and more importantly, spiritually. We serve these idols rather than the true God. Take a moment to think of some of these idols in your head. List off two or three in your head or write them down on a piece of paper. Listen to David Platt and insert your idol into the blanks. Blank is good, but blank is not God. Blank is good, but blank is not God. David says, it will not ultimately fulfill. Like anything else that becomes an idol, it will always take more than it gives while diverting the human heart away from the only one who is able to give supreme joy. What's the dangers of these idols? I have five dangers. I'm a math teacher, so four plus one. Four of these came from another pastor, and um, another one you'll kind of hear my math teacher in there. Danger number one, functional savior. Some idols lie by presenting themselves as a savior. If I had money, it would save me, and I wouldn't be so anxious or worried. My own example is if I had an easier job as a math teacher, maybe that would save me. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have so much unbelief that God is good and can't sustain. Danger number two, mediator. Sometimes an idol lies by telling that it can mediate between you and God. I'm sick, so if I were healthy, I wouldn't be so angry towards God. My examples, if I'm tired, so if I weren't so tired, then I wouldn't be so frustrated with my circumstances. Danger number three, identity. One of the reasons that an idol is so enticing is it gives you identity. Appearance. If I look a certain way, then I'll feel better about myself. In my own example, if I was the best teacher, then I'm respected. There's where I find my identity. Danger number four, righteous. Idols lie by telling you that they will make you righteous. My example is if I'm a good teacher, then automatically I'm doing well with the Lord. That's false because I could be sacrificing my time with my family. And more importantly, I could be sacrificing my time with the Lord to pursue such idols. And danger number five, senioritis. I'm a high school math teacher, and normally I teach seniors. We're at the end of the high school years. And uh, some seniors typically go through a time of complacency, apathy, like they don't care, and that's called senioritis. So when I see a senior tomorrow morning in class, I might be asking, like, hey, are you doing okay? Are you suffering from senioritis? 
Sometimes it gets so bad, they sit back down with other seniors and then they start affecting one another. The whole group where they're sitting goes down. They're not motivated. They drag each other down. They just want to have fun and lose focus of what they need to do. Christian, did you know your private spiritual health is either positively affecting or negatively affecting the corporate spiritual health of our church? Your private idol worship can influence to either protect or to endanger the corporate worship. If you are struggling in sin and bowing down to these idols, how can you point others to Christ when you come here corporately? Consider Christian. You're walking with the Lord, but you take your eyes off of our Creator and our hearts start producing idols. And now you're sinning to feed the idol. You're falling down. You're needing the help of others. Praise the Lord for the church family, which we'll, take, we'll talk about more next time. Right now, the church is thin. But we must all be vigilant, like watchmen at night, looking for enemies. And even more impor- importantly, looking for enemies within. Find and expose these false gods. And just like the Israelites in Exodus, you can see from their warnings and from people's examples, they do not satisfy. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Exposing your idols and being vulnerable can be scary. I remember a time when Jen and I were dating and um, we're at a wedding and guess who was sitting at our table? The senior pastor of the church. And my idol was acceptance. I wanted my senior pastor to accept Jen and our relationship and accept my own kind of decision making. And my sin was, I kind of feared what he was thinking, right? I didn't love him. I didn't think he loved me. But in that moment, I paused and I was thinking to shepherd myself like, you know what? By God's grace, I've been bought by the blood of Christ. And this brother, he's been bought by the blood of Christ. And we can have fellowship with one another. And I realized I shouldn't fear this brother what he thinks. I should just move towards him in love. Some application for us. Five minutes before service starts, um, I want you to consider a time to quiet your hearts. You know, the church service leader, uh, Danny, will usually, or anybody, will come here and give the welcome and announcements. And then they sometimes do a prayer of invocation. This prayer is welcoming the Lord into our gatherings. It is asking God to help us focus on him and not our false gods. So next Sunday, come five minutes before service, take your seat. And also during the time of prayer of invocation, he'll, uh, the service leader will say, quiet your hearts, right? And give that kind of awkward pause. That's an opportunity for us to quiet the false gods of our hearts, to prepare our hearts to worship the true God. How can you share with others your idols if you don't know yourself well? Increase in your own self-awareness by the Spirit. 
Ask the Spirit to help us. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all who, without reproach, and it will be given to him. Get data. Look at your phone usage. Look at your credit card statements, your internet browser. Your smartphone has now can track how long you've been on a certain app. Ask others for data. Ask people who know you, your spouse, your good friend. Go up to them and give them the green light. Ask them, brother, sister, what idols do you see in my life? Another way of growing in self-awareness, journal. Go home today and reflect on today's sermon or previous sermons. I usually start like a bullseye. I start with big topics that are more surfacey in general. Career, events of life like births and marriages. Then I talk about church life and ministry. And as I go towards the center, I'm trying to consider the inner parts of my heart. How is my parenting? How is marriage? How is my walk with the Lord? What is the Lord teaching me? What sins am I struggling with? What am I idolizing? It's taken me years to find and expose my idols. My idols of comfort. And to get my comfort, I will sin. I will sin by being lazy and not loving others. Subpoint number one, our first F was to find these false gods. We talked about what false gods are. We talked about how they tend to be good things and they turn to be uh, God things or ultimate things. And that's when it becomes bad. We talked about the dangers of idols and we talked about uh, exposing the idols by knowing ourselves. Subpoint number two, our second F, is to flee. Flee. Run away from these false gods. The Bible has this theme of being too close to sin, being enticed, sit down, eat, drink, and play with us. This association with false gods is like a closeness or friendship. John Stott compares false gods to the true God. Idols are dead, but God is living. Idols are false, but God is true. Idols are many, but God is one. Idols are visible and tangible. God is invisible and intangible. Idols are creatures, the work of the human hand. God is the creator and universe of all mankind. Friend, if you are visiting and not a follower of Jesus, we welcome you. I want you to consider your past and your present life. Have these idols ever satisfied? You know, we've all faced disappointment, and sometimes, um, and sometimes we've all faced disappointment, but it wasn't meant to be that way. God, our loving creator, created us to be in a perfect relationship, to be forever satisfied with him. He was a king, and we just knocked him off his throne, and we decided to be king for ourselves, deciding what is good and right. There are consequences for doing such a thing, and this is bad news. The Bible calls this sin, and sin is a cruel taskmaster, and you're in slavery to sin. You're unable to free yourself from this bondage. The slavery will take you to the grave. It will take you to the pits of hell. But there is good news. God saw our problem, and he met our need, our solution. He sent God the Son. 
Jesus to live the perfect life that we never could. And he paid for our penalty on the cross. And he died in three days. He rose again to show he has crushed the power of sin, death, and Satan. Turn from your ways and believe what Jesus has done for you on the cross today. And you can have forgiveness. You can have right standing with God. If you have more questions about this good news, you can ask I or Oscar or the friend who brought you. For the Christian, are you fleeing? For those dating, is your relationship known for purity and holiness? How close are you to sin? Do you leave yourself in vulnerable positions to easily fall into sin? A better question to consider is, how fast are you running away from these temptations? We've talked about finding idols, the dangers, exposing them. Now let's talk about removing them and putting them to death. Several Old Testament texts state how Israelites removed these idols from their high places. They took them outside of their homes, away from the center of the city. They cast them out, and then they destroyed them. Deuteronomy 7.5 says, But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash them into pieces, their pillars, and chop them down, their ashrams, and burn their carved images with fire. In the New Testament, Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So how do you do that? How do you put this sin to death? Verses 1 to 4 in Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seat at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are, are and above, and not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above and not earthly things. Consider, how is your meditation on scripture? Find specific scripture to address the false ideas about God in order to help preach the truth to yourself. Like a teacher, I got homework for you. Email or text a church member what that verse is so they can follow up with you and ask you, how are you doing in this particular area? It's not just admitting you have an idol. It's exposing them that they're fake. It's taking these idols out of your house and out of your heart. Turn back. Repent. Worship the true God. It's saying no to false gods and saying yes to the true God. Now, you might be discouraged. I want you to look up. Robert Murray McShane says, for every look at self... Take 10 looks at Christ. Every time you look at yourself and you're discouraged, take 10 looks at Christ. You might consider, how long could this take of exposing and putting my idols to death? It could take a lifetime. This process for the Christian to look more like our Savior, this is called sanctification. In summary, point number one, run away from false gods. We talked about two Fs, finding these false gods and fleeing away from them. 
In the next sermon, we'll talk about running towards the true God. In conclusion, Ezekiel 14.3 says, These men have taken idols into their hearts and set them as stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Idolatry is a heart problem. We all need heart surgery. The Bible calls Jesus the great physician who came to heal the sick, dying, and really the spiritual dead, you and me. But why trust? Why trust this person? Consider his rescue mission driven by his deep love, committed to diving down from heaven to earth to rescue the lost who have drowned in their own sin by sacrificing himself. This is the only doctor that can remove hearts of stone and replace them with hearts of flesh so we can obey his commandments. He does this with loving hands. He does it with a gentle touch through his fingers and through the parts of the body and through his body, which is the local church. It's a heart operation to find and to expose, to remove, to lift up, to heal and to restore. The best place to have a heart surgery is not a five-star hospital. It is the local church. And we'll talk more about forging family ties in our next sermon. The K-129 took a massive effort. It took 40 years before the U.S. military released video footage. It was costly to achieve such a feat. Time and energy and resources. A huge claw had to travel down three miles into the abyss of the Pacific Ocean to gently close the claw and to bring up to the surface a fragile submarine and not to crush it. Upon bringing up this 328-foot submarine, it would take years to determine all the inner contents and expose all the secrets. It was worth the cost to uncover these buried secrets. It painted a bigger picture of the wonderful rescue mission. The greatest rescue mission ever told, the true God that frees us from false gods. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a kind and loving and tender God. We thank you that you have purchased freedom for us by paying for the penalty of sin and thus ending our slavery to sin. We confess we easily bow down and worship created things rather than worshiping you, the true and living God. Forgive us for making good things, God things, and turning this into bad things. Give us, Lord, grace to walk in a manner worthy of your son's name, that our church body would be marked by faith and repentance. Thank you for being the great deliverer. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.